Welcome back to Beats, Rye, and Types, your favorite podcast about programming, food, music. Uh, I'm here with my friend MRB and a Hello. special guest, Stephanie Morio, who is joining us from the West Coast, though she's usually a East Coast native. She chose the song today, which is Seu, and it's a cover of the classic Bob Marley song, Concrete Jungle. So why don't you tell us why you chose that song, Stephanie? Yeah, um, lately at work, I've been listening to a lot of um, Brazilian artists on Spotify. Um, they just kind of, they're, you know, the groove is like really chill and it kind of just like helps me zone out when I'm at work. Um, so I was listening to some of that today and it just seemed appropriate. Yeah. Awesome. Mike is a big fan of Brazilian music and we've had Brazilian music on the podcast before actually, um, but older, older Brazilian music, mostly what was like bossa nova type stuff? I was listening to yeah, well, bossa nova and uh, tropicalia and yeah. samba and everything. And my friend just sent me a, a Chico Science album yesterday, actually, that I was listening to. So I don't know if they're in the same genre as say or not, but that was like an electronic Brazilian music that was cool. I think that's from like ten or fifteen years ago. Oh, that's awesome. Um, a random record collector friend a long time ago recommended a bunch of like older Brazilian stuff to me, and I really enjoyed the sound of it. And then since then, I've kind of been catching up with all the various styles. And I went down to Sao Paulo in March and got to see some live music, and that was that was dope. Cool. So, Stephanie, you are also one of the reasons I was excited to have you on the podcast. There are a variety. I saw you speak at um, Burlington Ruby Conf this year, which is how I was introduced to you and your work, and you did an awesome job. That was a really small and a little strange conference, but it was really fun anyway. It was really cute. (laughs) (laughs) It was very cute. That's a good way to describe it. (laughs) Then I, like, looked you up and was like, wow, you're actually a musician, too, which is awesome. Have you always been uh, doing music? Is that a recent thing? Like, well, how did you how did you get started that in that? That's always been a thing. Um, my dad, when I was when I was a kid, my parents are from the Dominican Republic, so my dad used to listen to a lot of nineteen seventies Latin American ballads, and he used to sing to them whenever he'd listen to them. And I loved the sound of it, and I loved anything I, more than anything. I just loved the sound of my father's voice singing. I started singing as a result of listening to those records. And when I was six years old, I decided that I wanted to be a singer. And um, I mean, I started writing my own material when I was around seven and I went to performing arts high school, thought I was going to go into opera um, and actually like, you know, perform. We we did opera in high school because that's just what you do when you're an opera geek in Manhattan. You just (laughs) perform opera. Um, I interned at the Metropolitan Opera House and I thought that was kind of the way I was going to go. But music has always has always been there. If I'm not singing, I'm usually writing about it. I was a music blogger for a few years when I lived in Malaysia. I wrote for a music magazine. So um, it's it's always been there. Always been there. That's cool. I didn't. So did you, did you went to LaGuardia? Is that the, I did. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so so LaGuardia. For those who don't know, LaGuardia is the. If you've ever seen the movie Fame, um, <laughs> which is yep. which is a very popular movie. At some point, I think it was like in the seventies or eighties, they merged. New York City merged two high schools: the High School of Performing Arts and the High School of Visual Arts, or LaGuardia, which was just like the painting and other visual arts school, and that became LaGuardia. I have like a bunch of friends who went to LaGuardia. I almost went to LaGuardia. You did? So for what? I, for, uh, for drawing, actually. I was an uh, illustrator in 
uh, elementary school, and I was really into that. My parents ended up. I went to Sty, so I was like, ah. I, they, they ended up being like, <laughs> you got you got into Stuyvesant, so you just have to go. It's not a choice. Yeah. Like, um, so which which ended up being okay. But yeah, I, I kind of my best friend Avi, who was actually on the podcast a couple weeks ago, was a Lagu- as a Laguardia graduate too, and he's um, all the kids who come out of there are always very creative and awesome. So I was always a little jealous of that. High school was so much fun. I mean, I hear the horror stories about high school, and high school was not that way for me. You could you could be weird. You could be a awkward teenager and have it, and it was a complete safe space to do so. Um, you could take yourself completely seriously, and it was okay. Yeah, high school was actually really really cool. And the year that I graduated, we had a few people that went on to do stuff. Nicki Minaj actually graduated the summer right before I started, um, <laughs> which I which I like to tell people. Really started. <laughs> Right after I graduated, and Matt McGorry, who's in um, Orange Is the New Black, he's the the security guard, and he's a uh, he and I were in the same graduating class, and we had a few classes together. And I actually started kicking myself in the ass after Orange Is the New Black came out because he and I were Facebook friends. But then I started unfriending people that I hadn't talked to in a while. I was like, "Fuck! I could have like <laughs> Facebook stalked Matt McGorry, and now like the chance is like gone." So. I did go to school with Matt McGorry. True story. <laughs> you fucked up on that one. That's okay. Though. I really that's okay. did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's funny. Like, So your music now, I listen to it. It's awesome. I'm really excited that I, I found it and it's on Spotify and we'll link to it in the show notes. It's very different from opera, <laughs> I would say. Yeah. And it's also, you know, I could hear some, you know, Latin influence in there for sure. But it was, it's definitely like, you know, much more directed to, mo- it's like a very modern sound. And I would say like, mo- it's like a modern R&B sound. Is that fair to yeah. say? Like, so what's the, what was the transition from like opera to that? Or was it that was always in your back pocket and you were like, opera is? <laughs> no, it was. So I found that I was hiding behind opera after I graduated from high school. I was I continued taking voice lessons and stuff, and I really enjoyed it. But I couldn't. I never really took the time to explore what I sounded like outside of opera. It was really easy for me to do because I knew I knew where my strengths were. I knew you know that my middle. I had a, a big middle and like very thin top. You know, like things like that. But I didn't know what I sounded like when I wasn't singing opera. And when I went to Malaysia and I was working on a music magazine. A lot of my friends were in the film and music industries. And I was like, you know what? It would be really cool if I just started experimenting a bit. And I decided to start just recording videos of myself singing different artists. But the artists that I gravitated to were, you know, Sade and a lot of the um, Bossa Nova artists, at least Regina in particular. She was somebody that I really, really, really loved and whose sound I thought was just absolutely gorgeous. So I just started singing a lot of those types of tunes because they felt very much like me. I was like, okay, if I were to sing something that was an opera, what would it be? And I decided that those were the kinds of tunes I would sing. Uh, Esperanza Spalding was another artist whose music I I started singing. And then um, I actually started taking voice lessons with a jazz singer named Gretchen Parlato in the city. Um, And that was really awesome. And that's when I really started to notice like the timbre of my voice. And, you know, like I feel like in, in a lot of pop music, we really tend to like people who can belt, people who have really wide ranges, you know, the people who who's who sound wide in the top all the way to the bottom, you know, like the, the Mariah Carey's of the world. I feel like that was really difficult for me to find my niche because my voice is not that. But then when I really honed in on the sound, 
I just started then writing tunes. And uh, again, it had to do with a, me recording myself. I had to learn how to listen to myself, which is kind of hard when you're a singer. You don't always like the sound of your voice, but I had to learn to kind of listen to it objectively. And as time went on, I noticed that the timbre and the tone of my voice started to change. And it became, you know, what it is now. And I kind of consider it like very brassy sounding. Like if I, if I had to like, if, if I had to match it to an instrument, I would say kind of like a trumpet or like an alto sax in terms of like that particular tone. So because that's the, the range of my voice, naturally I found that like the R&B, jazz, bossa nova, kind of like chill, low tempo type music matched my voice really well. So when you find that that's like your range, you, you, you know, it, it's easier to kind of experiment. And I, and then I started getting influenced by a lot of British musicians like James Blake, Jamie Woon, um, Jesse Ware. These are like the, this modern crop of musicians that have been inspired by neo soul, electronic music, that kind of thing. Um, and I decided I really wanted a sound that was more like that. It's cool. Their whole thing, right, is like you take this amazing vocalist and you write really beautiful, almost like very classic R&B melodies, but then you strip all the instrumentation away, right? And you have yeah. kind of like this very minimalist R&B sound kind of and add add back a bunch of like electronic drums and uh, and synthesizers and stuff like that. Yeah, I don't like I don't like too many vocal embellishments. Like, you know, even in a lot of classic R&B from the 90s or the early 2000s, you'll hear a lot of the, like, the backup vocals and they'd have, like, you know, crazy arrangements for that. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I don't really want to do all of that. Um, and, and it was funny because one of the producers that I was working with on my EP kind of wanted me to do more embellishments. And I was like, I don't think you understand. Like, I think it's <laughs> fine the way it is. I really like giving a song space, you know, just having enough melody and enough vocals and enough of the of the instrumentation to to obviously carry the melody through but not enough so that it feels like you don't actually have any space to enjoy it or to think or to mm -hmm. just like you know let it wash over you so to speak so i wonder where that came from like i always think about that like the the art in early 90s r&b like like the black street style like everybody oh, yeah. like yeah that, yeah 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 you know like you know? over and over you know and like where like where that came out i mean i'm sure it came out of like motown and all of that but like mm -hmm. when it started that that was like every song had to have like you know five dudes doing like this crazy up and down right. thing and that kind of, yeah and there are a lot of people that lo that love that. I mean, I think that there's obviously songs where that's appropriate, but I try not to write songs where I would need all that because I'm, I'm one vocalist. So if if I didn't have a backing, you know, if I didn't have like a, a band, I'd want to be able to perform it. And most of my performances are acoustic. I usually just have one guitarist. Mm -hmm. So I need it to be enough so that I can sing it. And maybe, you know, my guitarist who's also like he, he can sing too, like if he needed to come in. I mean, you know, do some harmony, but I, I really, really like that. I like things to be stripped down. Yeah, it's it's cool when a song can work in both ways. Like that's like a lot of the old Brazilian music that I listen to. You can find live performances of the same songs that are just like the singer and a guitar. And it's cool to hear the kind of bones of the song played that way. When I was in Brazil and I was talking to people about and I was like trying to find people to bring me to record stores and shit. Um, people were like, like asking me about, you know, how I how I know how I like all this like dusty Brazilian music and stuff. And I, I tell them the story about it. And they're like, but, you know, you can't even understand what they're saying. And that's like such a big part of of the music, you know, but I think it's actually a testament to 
Brazil's musical. There's something about there's something about the the confluence of sounds down there that makes something that's really listenable. And I'm actually words are uh, words are usually a really important part of me like getting into music. Like that all of the music all the music I really loved like first all had words and I was into poetry and I love Bob Dylan and all that kind of stuff. But so when I first heard this music that I couldn't understand it all, but still was equally compelled to like, it was cool. So I just kind of kept chasing it down. And it's funny to know it's like part of some of that Tropicalia music, right? Is like a, that's a political cultural uh, thing going on there. So the words are kind of important. So it was, <laughs> it was fun to, it was fun to have some uh, Brazilian friends of mine, like translate some of the words to me and explain what the songs were actually about. That's cool. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I, I guess because I was doing um, classical music, it, like I was just used to listening to music, vocal music, and not necessarily understanding it. You know, often like we would have to learn uh, songs that were in German or French or Italian. You know, these aren't languages that I speak. So I had to like the first like order of business. Yeah, was was translating. But then it was, you know, focusing on on the vocals and the melody. So but I, Spanish is my first language, so like Portuguese in that sense is a little bit more inviting than other languages. What I love about it, and I don't understand a lot of, of what they say, I just, I love how the language really informs the, 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 the music. Like you can't sing Bossa Nova in any other language than Portuguese, I think, and still have that same feel. There's something about the vowels and the way they enunciate certain yeah. consonants. Like the, 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 like I just, again, I think a lot about space because of vocals. So I just think about like, you know, how they have so many vowels and how there's so much space in, you know, how they like, you know, elongate certain vowels and stuff that I couldn't be able, I couldn't do in Spanish if I tried. Like if I wanted to sing one of these songs and, and translate it in Spanish, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have the same kind of flavor. I, I think Brazilian music in, in general is just so, so beautiful, but their style of Portuguese is like, lends itself beautifully. It's just like, it, it it's, it's magical. You know, you just hear certain genres and you hear them sung in a language and you're like, wow, I couldn't, I'd love to know what you're saying for sure, but I couldn't <laughs> imagine this song in uh, any other language in any other way. Yeah, there's a there's a timbral quality to like so many of the consonant sounds in Brazilian Portuguese, it seems, and hearing, when you hear it spoken, I, when the first, I, I first heard it spoken very much outside the context of like the music, so it you know it sounds very different than spoken english but it didn't initially strike me as a particularly musical language and then when i heard it sung i was like wow that really i totally agree i think that that's a really um on point way obviously you've thought a lot about this kind of thing but how the way that the language sounds influence the influences the music is really incredible and the space and the rhythm in brazilian music is so i mean it's just got everything it really yeah. does it's such an unbelievably it's just such an unbelievably rich music, you know, and I uh, we I try to evangelize it a lot because there's there's something for everyone, I think. And then and they are the modern music there is super interesting, too. I came across I forget the name. I came across the name of another like recent a Brazilian guy who released an album in, within the last couple of years that I heard that had kind of like a updated uh, what do you, what's the MVP sound? Yeah. Music, pop MVP sound. Yeah. So that, that shit is awesome too. It's really cool too. Like the, um, Brazilians love their micro genres of things <laughs> too. So like you're listening to a song and, and it's such a, you know, it's such a, it's a country with all these different 
like nation states that are like, and then someone drew like a line around them basically. And they're like, this is Brazil. So it's actually all these different countries in one country and everyone's little, everyone's region has their own local music. And then, you know, they're all mixed up in these cities. And uh, it was really cool to hang out in Sao Paulo, which is like a, you know, a big international city with these Brazilians from all over Brazil. And then we'd be at a bar. They'd be like, we have to go to this bar to hear the music from where I'm from. You know, we have to go to this bar to hear the music from where I'm from and talking about the history of it. And, you know, what is this? I would just ask like, oh, what kind of music is this? And I'm like, oh, well, you know, and it's like, it's a funny thing because I really wear that. It's like a thing I talk about and it's like a, a passion that I wear on my sleeve. But down there, it's kind of like a part of what it's a part of everyone's identity in a way. So people aren't kind of as loud. I mean, I guess I'm loud about but it was interesting because people on people you wouldn't expect had lots of opinions about, yeah, this kind yeah. of, about these kinds of things. So that, that was dope. There's definitely like a, I've noticed that too, not just Brazil, but other places where music is like a more ingrained part of the culture. Like music is definitely part of American culture. There's no doubt about it, but it's like, there's this very fine line where it's like, Oh, you just like everything that's on top 40. And then yeah. if you're not, if, if you're beyond that, then you're like, uh, a person who's into music, kind of the same with food, I guess, too. But it's like, well, in a, in as much as there is American culture, uh, American culture is into pop music, uh, into music, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm and just it's saying such a, it's a fractured thing. So, well, but it's not it's not this thing where like, yeah, I like in the way you're describing, like, obviously America too is like broken up into states, and states have somewhat identity, or regions of America definitely have somewhat identity. But we're we're all from around New York, and like, if you were like. I guess New York is a, a singular example because if you were like, oh, what's the music of New York? I'm sure you could come up with like a list of musics. But if you were like anywhere else, I don't know if you would have like a specific identity of like this is the music from where I'm from, you know, other than the general like I'm from the South and this is the c- specific type of music I like or something like that. I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm just talking. About no, I, I think no, I think that's actually really interesting. So when I went to college, I went to a college that was like over eighty percent white, and I remember people talking about the kind of music that they'd listen to when they were younger, and like how the, their parents brought them up with like you know certain iconic musicians, you know, from like the sixties, the seventies, and I was just kind of like, and it was almost like assumed that everybody listens to that, and I was mm-hmm. like, well, you know, we didn't really listen to that in my house, you know, we listened to a lot of merengue and salsa. And like, you know, like we, we grew up with certain kinds of music, but even then, like there's this assumption that, that, yeah, like we have this general American music culture and, you know, there are certain people that are icons in American music, but like, even that, that's not universal Um, Mm -hmm. for people who grew up in immigrant communities, you know, our icons are going to be much different. And I think people were annoyed and they thought that I was talking shit when I was like, I didn't grow up with the Beatles. I didn't grow up with like Pink Floyd. I didn't grow up with none of these people. And they thought that I was just being like, you know, like some kind of asshole for saying that. But it's not true. It's <laughs> that just you're like, like too I'm cool like, for a Pink Floyd or something cool like that. that. And, yeah. You know, whereas I, what I should have been doing is pointing at them being like, you didn't grow up with Juan Gabriel. You didn't grow up with Roberto Carlos, you know? And But that's, that's just what it was. Yeah. That's really, that's, yeah, that's an interesting point. We, I, I have a former coworker, uh, Stephanie, another Stephanie, Stephanie Shee, who like also grew up in a very specific world where she, at first I was really incredulous because she like 
didn't know any pop culture, anything from our entire childhoods. And we shared like no pop cultural overlap, like at all. And I, I was like, just like, I couldn't, be- at first, I, I guess I probably was just an asshole. And I just like, couldn't believe it. Cause I was like, I can't make half the jokes I like make are based on like Simpsons and Seinfeld quotes. So if you haven't watched like at least some Simpsons and some Seinfeld, how am I supposed to talk to you? And then I realized it's like, no, you just like, have a very different, uh, you know, it was just different. It's not that lesser or better. It's just different. And it took me a while. It took me a while to come to terms with that for sure. We met actually, you and I met at a tech conference. So it's, it's interesting. We're talking about music. I'm kind of curious, like, well, generally the people we like to bring on are people who have interests outside of tech or obsessions outside of tech because, generally we find those people to be more interesting, but also there are people and people we like, but also I'm always kind of curious how you divide those worlds. Do you divide those worlds? Is your like music world completely separate from your tech community? Do you find there's overlap? Are you, do you like bringing people from one into the other or is it, is there a fine line between them for you? It's there's, I wouldn't say there's a fine line that that's that's been placed there intentionally it's just i kind of went from one world to the other so i didn't really have anyone or like who i interacted with in my music kind of follow me into tech like i have people who know me because of my work in the tech industry that then find out that i've been doing music and they are then interested um and they're like wow that's actually really really awesome and i I didn't realize that there were many people that had musical backgrounds that were in the tech industry so right now like Right now, yeah, it, it is kind of separate just for that. And frankly, music is my respite from from tech. Yeah, and I haven't really had too many opportunities to, to like, I don't know, bring the two together. One example that stands out, um, the Brooklyn JS meetup, they actually invited me to be their musical guest like two months ago. So I performed at Brooklyn JS, which was really, really awesome. Um, but like aside from that, like actually, like, I don't know, like working on a music like app or something like that. No, I haven't done anything along those lines. And I'm, I'm not even sure I, I would know how to bring those two together. But yeah, that's, that's really what it is. I, I think that there's an interesting thing that happens. Uh, and I think probably why Aaron asked that is that there sometimes be, there sometimes seems to be like a pressure to be like a person, you know, like one, one kind of one kind of person that easily fits some kind of specific description. Not in, I'm not talking about in like the middle school shallow sense of like, do you like rap music or do you like heavy metal or whatever? I mean, right. like, I mean, and of course the answer is rap music. Um, but uh, we should ask, we meant to ask you that before we approved you um, as a guest on the show. But I'll just assume that that's the answer. Um, but take something like Twitter, for example. It's like, it's a thing that people use for professional purposes. It's a thing that people use for personal reasons. It's a thing that probably people think more about than they uh, actually should. It's probably not even healthy to really be talking about that. <laughs> it's funny because yeah. we don't we don't own it as a platform, so whatever. We shouldn't be putting that much effort into it, but it's refreshing to hear that. Cool, it's refreshing to hear that you're like, yeah, well, whatever, I have these two things and that's cool um, because I know that. I, I And Aaron and I had a conversation about work-life balance recently and, and it's like who... I think I think the pressure to define yourself by what you do professionally is big, particularly as you, you know, are in the industry for a longer period of time and you want to be able to kind of use your the fact that you've been around as like a way to do more interesting things and people knowing who you are and what you think about things is like helpful, right? So you want to promote the fact that you 
are someone who understands what's going on and stay on staying on top of technology and all that other stuff but you don't really want to be like necessarily identified as a as a programmer yeah that is that is very true um i've i've actually never felt comfortable identifying myself as a programmer it's not really what i do i got into it thinking that i would be a developer or hoping i would be a developer but it didn't quite work out that way and i'm actually okay that it didn't it's weird like i don't really define myself as a technologist per se i'm just like somebody who's in tech who loves tech who loves the people in tech but i've always identified myself first and foremost as a musician and as a writer um, I feel like I'm just like a writer who's like, you know, like living in the tech space right now and who loves, uh, I love technologists and I love being around them, but I don't know that I really want to be known as, as a tech person. It's really weird. Like I, I just, I find that I'm just trying to define a space for myself when I kind of stopped worrying about, you know, credibility and wanting to be a developer because of credibility, then I started to really find that there were opportunities that I could tap into. What I love about technology is I find that I'm curious. I didn't learn programming because I had something I wanted to build. This is actually something I was tweeting about yesterday. Um, and Neil Dash put something on like, he, he asked a question, you know, how many people have tried learning to code but decided not to anymore? And I thought that was a really, really important question to ask. For me, like I, I thought I would be a developer, but when I first started learning how to code, I was unemployed and I was on the verge of um, being homeless. So it was hella rough, right? You're, you're dealing with learning how to code, which is not exactly an easy thing. And there are all these ideas that I came into you know, learning how to program with, you know, you have to be really smart in math. You have to be really smart, full stop. You have to learn how to think in X, Y, Z ways. Um, and then you're having to learn like two or three things in parallel with coding, um, which is also something that you didn't anticipate, but I'm also dealing with real life shit when I'm learning how to code. And that became a really, really difficult thing for me. But the more I started interacting with technologists, the more I felt like, oh, maybe I should be a developer because it'll make me seem more credible. Like maybe I can then talk at conferences and people will respect me more if I'm a developer. But um, there wasn't, it, but I, what I liked was trying to figure out how to use something. It was like how to break something and then figure out how to use it, but not because I wanted to build this awesome application that everybody could use. That really wasn't my goal. And I felt like the more that's what I was being told I needed to do in order to make an entrance into the industry, the more I became not interested in that the more I started to really think about what it was that I, that I enjoyed doing. And what I enjoy doing is writing. Um, and I also enjoy um, bashing people who have like terrible writing, especially in tech. And there's a lot of terrible writing in tech. You know, I like saying, okay, well, you know, let me help you figure this out so that we can work better. Um, the, the cool thing about learning how to program for me, I think, was learning to apply computational thinking to writing and learning to apply that, that approach to my writing and making me a better writer. In that, like, yeah, like I'm in that, like, yeah, I don't even know what I'm talking about. I'm not a programmer. I just like, I like technologists. Um, and um, I'm not a program. I'm not a programmer either. <laughs> oh, you're not? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm actually not. I'm not. I'm really not. I'm not a particularly. Um, I've never really had a job where programming was the thing that I ended up spending most of my time doing. I'm much better with other non-programming things. I find programming very frustrating. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, people are kind of more frustrating, but I'm, I'm, I'm. I'm better with I'm better with people than I am with programs, um, uh, but that's cool. I think that everyone should follow Stephanie's lead and 
remember that all the other shit matters uh, a lot more than actually programming does. And really, it's more, more about what you're building than, you know, the actual tools that you're building with. I, it's funny because through the music stuff, I've become friends with a lot of JavaScript people. Um, so I've made friends in the JavaScript community and I and I learned Ruby. So I started speaking at Ruby conferences and naturally just gravitated towards the Ruby conferences because I felt more comfortable there. But recently I've been like, well, you know, I'm not giving a hard tech topic talk at any of these conferences. So, you know, I think the JavaScript community might be a place that I start um, speaking at in the future, assuming that I'm going to still be speaking about like my experiences and stuff in conferences. It's something that's also like in flux. Yeah, it's like it's something that what Mike touched on too is something I've battled with. So even though I am, I would consider myself a programmer. I also like don't like defining myself that way, and especially with any specific field. Like, yeah, I'm a Rubyist. Yeah, I did a lot of JavaScript. I did a lot of DevOps. I, I don't know. Like, we're human beings, right? <laughs> it's like we're and it, it's it's I I realize that Twitter is the crux of this because it's just like. I'm, I'm trying to be a professional there and like it's a way that I've actually gotten jobs, you know, so it's actually true that I have to present myself to as like a programmer on there and can't just tweet baby and bread pics all the time and that that'll be that um, I have to balance that. But it's it's yeah, it's one of the reasons that Mike and I love doing this show and especially love having guests is to like highlight the fact that you know, we're all human beings who have a variety of not only interests and obsessions, but like different backgrounds and different opinions on things. And that's cool. We can all still be friends and communicate with each other and talk to each other about real shit and not just like which React Flux framework we're going to pick this week, you know? Yeah, that's that's super important to us for sure. All right. Well, Thank you, Stephanie. It was really awesome Thank talking you to you. Thank you so much. Likewise. Actually, actually, I had one. I had one more question before we yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. You so one, another topic we didn't talk about at all yet is food, which is a common topic. So you grew up in the Bronx. So I'm interested. Is there what's your Bronx spot? What is the spot in the Bronx to eat for any for your What's your favorite when you go home, hang out with your family in the Bronx? What is where do you guys where do you guys eat? So, I mean, if I'm going to hang out with family, that's usually my aunt's house because um, I have like there's a there's an apartment building um, close to where I live where a whole bunch of my family members live because my aunt's husband is the super there. So everybody got apartments there, which is dope during the holidays because like <laughs> all of my aunts like during Thanksgiving and Christmas start cooking. Giant slumber party. No, I am like the freeloader. Like and I do this like no fucking shame. Like I just go from like apartment to apartment. I say hi to everyone, happy holidays, and I'll grab, like, and I have Tupperware. Like, I am very, very serious about it. And, like, you know, you just, you, you got, like, three meals worth of Thanksgiving dinner. So, like, that's awesome. <laughs> so that's my number one spot. But my number two spot is a Vietnamese spot about three or four blocks away from where I live on Kingsbridge Road. And I can't pronounce the, the name. They only take cash. I mean, like, I, I go in and I'm just like, beef bon me, and she looks at me and she hooks it up, and then she turns around and she tells them beef bon me in Vietnamese, and I even know, like, how that sounds, <laughs> and I'm like, all right, like, she is, like, they're gonna cook up, like, the good shit, and it is really, really cheap, and, like, their pho and everything there is just, like, amazing, because we have, um, we have, like, a Vietnamese, like, a small Vietnamese refugee um, community, 
in that part of the Bronx. So like my best friend growing up was Vietnamese, but like, this is like one of the, and it, it looks like a hole in the wall, but it's, it's one of the few places where you can get like stuff that's like, you know, not just Dominican or Mexican food or your traditional, like, you know, like Jamaican or, you know, Chinese food. So it's like very, very unusual in the area, but, um, it's awesome. Um, my boyfriend now, I take him there frequently and he's, he's a huge <laughs> fan. So that's you know, awesome. it, it is the spot. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So if you ever come back to New York, we are taking you there. Oh, I'm yeah, down. I'm so down. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Sounds right up our alley. Yeah. We are uh, definitely like seeking out the, like we actually just recently were talking about seeking out Vietnamese food specifically in the randomest places around the world. And so that's, that's Bronx is a pretty random place for Vietnamese food. Super <laughs> random. Super <laughs> random. So that's, uh, so that sounds awesome. Well, awesome. Well, next time I'm there. I'm there. Well, thanks for joining us. Thank uh, you so much, we will guys. Be, yeah, we'll be back soon with more more guests. Um, every guest that we have on is the best guest that we've ever had on, um, <laughs> and uh, it stays that way forever. Doesn't have to be a logical thing. It's just how it is. Uh, find us on twitter.com slash beats ride types um tell your moms to like us on facebook.com slash beats ride types um and support our burgeoning media empire at patreon.com slash beats ride types uh thanks for everyone for supporting us and send us send us more emails and words of encouragement and we'll keep um telling you where to find vietnamese food in the <laughs> random places in the world that's what this podcast will eventually become. It's just uh, out of where to find Vietnamese food in your neighborhood. Um, I would, yeah, I would mind a, that. I would a, mind that. We're gonna get acquired by Yelp as like a the, a source for Vietnamese random restaurants. That's what we're aiming Fuffinder. for. Fuffinder. dot Feeds for types. Dot dot Cool. <laughs>